0: You can still do that routine live. I can do that routine. Do you like doing it? It's DJing. I love what I do. The Message, spotlighting the most important voices of today with Ebro, an open dialogue about their experiences in these times and the music that inspires them. Welcome back to The Message. This past Friday marked a momentous day, hip hop's birthday. 50 years ago on August 11, 1973, Cool Herc hosted a party in the Bronx. The party was called the Back to School Jam, but this party gave birth to the movement we now call hip-hop. On today's episode of The Message, I'll be sitting down with one of the men that was there from the beginning, Grandmaster Flash. We wouldn't even have a podcast called The Message without Grandmaster Flash and Melly Mel. His contributions to hip-hop cannot be overstated. He was the first DJ to use turntables as an instrument. And of course, he went multi-platinum for that song this very podcast was named after, The Message. He's here now, 50 years later, to give us a new message and shed some light on the origins of hip-hop. Grandmaster Flash is on The Message. Let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is another episode of something we call The Message. Which is actually named after one of the most important records in hip hop history, and I have Grandmaster <laughs> Flash with us today. What's up, man? How you doing?
1: Wait, you, now
0: you don't mind me calling this the message,
1: right? I don't mind whatever you do, man, because whatever you do, man, it's all good, man. Thank I you, say. sir. No I problem. Appreciate that. I appreciate
0: that. All so good. on this, uh, what we do is we sit down with people. They provide us a playlist, which you have done. Of you gave us basically some of. Uh, some of the most essential building blocks in this playlist Absolutely. of, of hip hop and right. and how you and others formulated those early hip hop parties, the break beats, the big records, the big drums, the yes, things sir. y'all was cutting up and figuring out. So we're gonna get into those records. Sure. And I'm gonna ask you some stories of maybe about how, how a record was found or where you first heard it or et cetera, et cetera, because you guys were pulling vinyl from, at a certain point, y'all was just going to the record store finding any drum break you could find and bringing it to the party. So we'll get into that. But what is your message to those of us that because of your work uh, and you guys as the pioneers, um, we all have jobs now. But what is your message to us uh, that are kind of making sure this hip hop thing is taken care of?
1: You can come from nothing. You could make it from nowhere and have everything. And when I say that is meaning when I invented this DJ technology, I did this, nothing. I come from the projects, 2730 Dewey Avenue in the Bronx. And behind the projects was this junkyard. Out cars. People threw away stereos, people threw away stuff. And I jury-rigged until I put my sound system together. And the first original person to inspire me to even do that was my dad because he was constantly kicking my rear end for touching the brown box that lived in the living room and these black circular discs that came out of this jacket piece of paper that had pictures of like trains and cars and flowers and people. I mean, I found out later on it was an album cover, but as a toddler, I'm like, why why, why is he pulling these things out of there and what's he going to do with that? He would go over to this brown box in the living room and he would do this process to make the record drop down and the needle would come down and sound would come out of that brown box. He, I thought, dad was a Greatest magician of all time, and that's my humble beginning. You know, so didn't grow up with a whole lot of anything. Just had to kind of find my way, and I felt like God was calling. So when I became a teenager, I didn't do the typical things that teenagers did. You know, where you go into the basketball court chasing the honeys, smoking behind your parents' back and drinking the whole things. I was I was angry. Mm-hmm. I was angry with the way records were made. And I said, at my mother's house parties, why is it when the drum break came, why did the booties move more? Why so for me it was like why didn't records have more of that? But those particular records, it wrote that drum solo was 10 seconds. And that's where my my beginning began and uh, I can remember there was no computers, no studios, no apps, no social media, not a whole lot of anything, just a vision. And I can remember at that time, the stars of that period was the breakers and they needed the drums so that they can do their break routines, but they needed a drum that stayed on time so that they could do their routine, routines, especially if it was multi-people doing the same thing at the same time. So I figured out how to do that, and I called it the Quick Mix Theory.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that is the basis on how the rapper had a better music to speak on because there were no studios to do. Any of this. So that's what I mean by coming from nothing and having everything. So I'm kind of blessed. Uh,
0: We're blessed to have you today uh, on The Message. We're going to run through some of these records that you guys were pulling from. We're also going to play the world-renowned, infamous... Uh, inspiration for many DJs. Hopefully you saw Dr. Dre recently receiving an award yes. when you talked about Thank you, Dre. Grandmaster Flash Joe. on the Wheels of Steel is the reason he became a DJ. Mm-hmm. Um, the quick mix theory, you know, uh, knowing when and marking records and figuring out the rotation of the records, which I've had the honor of having you explain how you kind of envision that. Huh. Um, but recording Grandmaster Flash on the Wheels of Steel what, how, how was that decision made?
1: I can remember at that time we were touring heavily and I had asked the record company, like, I want to make this record with records. And they couldn't wrap their head around that. I says, I just want to pick a series of records and I want it to be recorded and I want it to be put out as a record. And finally, a year or two went by and I got the go-ahead. So... I think the biggest thing was picking the records. I had to pick some breaks, some pop, some rock, some funk to make this all work. So for me, how that record was made, there was this big recording machine, ladies and gentlemen, called the 2-inch. And it was like a gigantic recorder that probably was shaped more like a washing machine yeah. with two reels on it. And I can remember being flown back in from the tour where we had a couple of days off after I picked the selections of records. And I would tell Steve Jerome, the engineer, hit record. Boom. And I would go through record one, record two, record three, record four, record five, because I was using three turntables, record six, record seven. And as I started going through all the records, I made a mistake. I said, stop. He says, no, we could punch this. I said, what? No. (laughs) I said, what's a punch? He says, we could rewind the tape a little bit, and we could pick up where you left off that and erase the mistake. I said, no. Mm. Let's go back and do it again. Erase what he had, and pretty much the reel starts to go. I'm going through the records. I'm going through the records. Going through the records. Slipped again. I said, we're not punching. Third time, I went through the whole thing because you got to realize if I'm going to do it on tape, I have to be able to do this live. Okay. So no, no studio magic allowed. So at this time, three turntables had to be used because some tracks overlaid others while I needed other turntable in waiting to throw the next record. So pretty much I did that three takes. So
0: to th- right now, today when you tour, cause you actively being, Hired still to this day, which is a blessing.
1: Absolutely. You can still do that routine live. I can do that routine. I'd probably have to brush it up now because I haven't done it in a long time. But you know, it's like riding a bike. Once you once you can do it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I definitely do it again. I can definitely do it again. Do you like doing it? It's DJing. I love what I'm I love what I do. Yeah, but as a,
0: many DJs, they may not want to play the same records the same way every time. Like Yeah,
1: I probably wouldn't want to play the same way every time, but for, for for authenticity, I would probably have to play uh like was it Blondie a certain way certain way, and I'd have to play uh good times a certain way. Like certain things arrived at a certain time right. so that people can see that I can do this live. i probably have to do the whole thing the way it was really made so people could go, oh, so he can do this live.
0: I think I think that needs to happen. Yeah. I think it needs to happen. We'll see for what for modern day technology, right? For it to be captured. At this point in time in a, you know what I mean? For it to be seen at this juncture in full, I think it needs to happen.
1: Okay. That's fair enough.
0: Now, this being the 50th year as we celebrate hip hop, which we've all collectively, as those of us that love this and have had a voice in this hip hop thing and able to contribute, say 1973, August 11th, uh, the Back to School Jam, 1520 Cedric Cedar, boom. Are you proud of and happy with us, and even the generations younger than me, how we are keeping this hip-hop thing
1: going. So let me repeat what I said earlier in the opening. This came from nothing. And the contributions of myself, Herc, Bam, and Breakout, this whole thing could have missed. Now for me, for my technical contribution to this whole thing, when I was doing this, in my mind, I was saying to myself, I'm playing the drum break of all these different genres of music, pop, rock, jazz, blues, funk, disco, R&B. This whole thing could have just missed, but it was, how is he doing that? And if I were to use a different concept, I would use Stafford Curry, the way he shoots.
0: Mm.
1: He just needs a little bit of daylight to hit it from the parking lot. So for me, all I needed was, what is that? So in doing that, that and the contributions of all of us, it is an absolute blessing because I'm doing what I love and I'm making a living at it too. Not everybody on planet earth can say that. You know what I mean, E? Mm -hmm. So it's wonderful and I guess the pro- only thing that probably would piss me off is why it took so damn long. I thought this shit was great a long time ago. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, why not year ten? or right. Year twenty? Or
0: well, I think it just, it just took year. it took matri- I mean, looking at it now,
1: mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm.
0: It took individuals having specific roles. Within whether that be in advertising, sure. in media, oh yeah, yeah, A you know what I mean. Lesson. All of these, sure, all of, well, like when you look around, how much, how many people have grown up mm-hmm. loving not only what you started, and others started the party, mm-hmm. the that that real live element of hip hop. But then, even just the way the music has evolved, and the stories, and the personas, and the superstars, and the so I guess commerce it, it had and, to go. It had to happen the way it, it
1: happened. Is what you're saying? Yeah, it just okay. took it. I think yeah, no.
0: I think there's that part. And but
1: um, well, look at but well, look at it from my perspective. Like I was loving it when it was wrong. That's right. And I had to make it right in my mind. That's right. So i from where I'm sitting. I think I could, I it's right that I could say we took it so damn long. That's but right. from your perspective it's perfect timing. Well, know I, I look. You
0: know what I, I'm well, no, I, I wouldn't even say it's perfect timing. I've just kind of accepted the terms. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: you know what I'm saying? It, that's it, I've that's just it. kind of
0: accepted the reality uh, of right, time, right? Right, um, right? But absolutely in the 90s, right, when I'm first starting in media, radio, I'm like, yo, why isn't this music being played all day? Mm-hmm. Why I got to wait till the weekend for yeah. my show to come on? Yeah, that's crazy. Why, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. we dealt with all that, Where they didn't even want to support hip-hop, mm-hmm. you know? They uh, call it like
1: a ship passing in the night. It, yeah. I was like,
0: Whoa. It was a fad.
1: It was a fad. The the radio station would play the the drop.
0: We don't play that rap crap. You know, the
1: stations that would
0: go against the rap. Ew. You remember them days. Oh,
1: yeah. That was like kick to the private. Yeah. Slap to the face, punch to the stomach. Like somebody, like six people jump on me at the same time.
0: You're listening to The Message with my guest Grandmaster Flash. His message playlist is available right now on Apple Music, featuring a collection of tracks that were essential to his early mixes and helped lay the groundwork for sampling and hip-hop. Go get your lesson, stream that, save that, add it to your library, and make sure you subscribe to this podcast for more conversations just like this. Now let's get back to it. The Message. So... So uh, I want to go through some records that you've listed. Uh, this is the message. Grandmaster Flash is here. We wouldn't even have this show title if it wasn't for you and, and Melly Mel and, and that whole movement of that. what that song is. Please tell me the first time you heard Bob James take me to the Mardi Gras.
1: When I went shopping for records, there was, of course, the record stores, right? mm mm-hmm. But where I got my best records was people who had records in their closet. Mm. Those records are already tested. They're already filtered. They are already hit. Right, right. You know, so if they're in their closet, and and and, and mom mothers are saying, "All right, go go get a shopping cart and just come get these," because they they're my they they they're, they're up space in my closet. Those kind of records are really special, but. As a toddler, I came from a time E, depending on who was on the stereo, and I wasn't allowed, and me and my baby sister wasn't allowed. I heard pop, rock, jazz, blues, funk, disco, R&B, alternative, Caribbean. Dad had Miles Davis, Mom had Lena Horn, uh, Kometa had Motel, Violet had uh disco, you know. So I I I I heard all these things. So when I first heard, Take Me to the Mardi Gras, according to the laws of how records are categorized. This record was supposed to be a jazz record. I was like, hell no. This is special. And that's what made the Bronx and a Block Party so special, E, because it was like an empty canvas, and it was a testing ground. It's, Take Me to the Mardi Gras. Gonna work is uh Give It Up, Turn It Loose by James, James Brown. Is it gonna work? I Can't Stop by the Monster Orchestra. And some of these records were considered disco. That's right. Good time chic. You know what I'm saying? So, like for me, it was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time. And record shopping was totally incredible. Because sometimes I'd find one record in somebody's closet and I'd have to find another copy. I'd probably have to go to like Staten Island in a record store, I'll call around and see if they had one more copy. It was quite an adventure to be able to put records together. So, yeah. for the
0: audience, take me to the Mardi Gras. Yeah. You might be more familiar with Peter Piper Yeah, from Run DMC. Yes, sir. But that record was being used in the jams. That mm-hmm. break was being used in the was, jams. That right? was one of
1: my staples. Yes, it was. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: what is a record? Because you once told me that at a certain point, you know, you find a record in a break, and then it go off at a party, and then obviously other DJs and people are going to talk about it, and they're going to go take the routine or go get the record themselves. Mm-hmm. What was one of the records that you really shocked the world with in and, and finding a break and, and, uh, and basically juggling and looping back and
1: forth? Take Me to the Mardi Gras was probably the number one for me. Yeah, uh, and I can remember when I did find that, you got to realize back then out of the four DJs that was playing in their particular areas, like Breakout may have the record this month. Herc may have it this month. Bam may have it. You know, Flash may have it. Me, for me to keep the secrecy on it, either I used a crayon or a marker and I marked it out, mm-hmm. or what I did was... And by the
0: way, audience, what, they, what he's saying is, he would the label on the vinyl, so nobody would steal your idea. <laughs> they would color in the actual label, so you nobody else could look over their shoulder at right. the DJ booth and see what they were playing, so that nobody could go find the record. Exactly, because if you there had, wasn't no
1: Shazam, you wasn't just Shazamming and no, finding it. No, you wasn't. You wasn't. <laughs> you know, so pretty much for me, I went one step further. E. The way I would look for a break on a record is I would buy one copy and I would put it up in a light. And the area where it was the most shinies was where the least band members was playing. Now, if there wasn't a turntable in a record shop, I would look at that. I'd go and I'd say, this is probably a drum break because this area of this composition is shiny. And I would buy two of these and I would take it home and the shit might be someone on a violin. Them shits is called my stiffs. Yeah. So them, I had like crates and crates of stiffs. So what I would do is, like for example, take me to the Mardi Gras. I would take two stiffs that I couldn't return back because once you break the shrink wrap, you bought it. You know what I'm saying? And I would soak the two copies of the stiffs in a bathtub, and then sink, and then put the Take Me to the Mardi Gras in a bathtub until the labels came off. And what I would do is switch the labels on it. So if there was a person from another DJ crew that was trying to see what I was playing, the label was wrong. (laughs) They would go home and like we had big laughs after this many years. They like flash. We let the record play. We cleaned our house and we just let the whole shit play from Side A to side B, we never found it. It's because I switched the label. <laughs> so I mean it, it was somewhat of a secrecy. Now I don't mind yeah, yeah, letting the of. secrets out now, but that was part of the fun. If I didn't want to scratch it out, I knew I, there were spies from other DJ crews that wanted to know what I was playing. So Amazing. That, that's pretty much how I would do that. When
0: you when you look back on uh 50 years of hip-hop, obviously, you know, that that beginning moment, there's nothing that'll ever replace that high of like what you guys had going on, you getting booked downtown, which was like well, with the, the whites. Fact, with the whites. With the white like, I don't even know if people in New York City understand that right. concept right. that in the late 70s, mid to late 70s, a black DJ mm-hmm. getting booked down outside in Manhattan mm-hmm.
1: below 125th Street. Absolutely. Soho in that area. There were they were there were so many like little lounges and clubs and I can remember like uh, there was this lady, uh, this, this, this uh, promoter by the name of Blue. She had a connection with us uptown because she would come see us and she would say to us, I'm going to take you downtown. And I want you to play the same way you'd play as if you were playing a block party mm. in the Bronx. And I, I was kind of nervous about that. I'm saying, you want me to play this selection of records downtown the same way she said yes She says, they're going to love it and i can remember when we when we did that set the club on fire mm. i was totally shocked like white people's feeling this like really feeling it. And we was playing pop breaks rock breaks and jazz breaks and, like all types of smorgasbords of different types of music and they were just jamming and the bookings just kept you know kept coming and that's how you met blondie and that's no, Blondie came to um, there was this gentleman. Or Debbie Harry's her really. Oh, uh, yeah. So there was this guy that was a big fan of mine that used to come to my parties. His name was Fat Five Freddie. Ah. And Freddie would say to me, yo, I'm gonna bring somebody up man to one of your parties, man, that's really a fan of yours. Know, and you right, because he was in the Warhol Basquiat. Yeah, but Aunt he was coming, he was a he was coming to my party. Right, right, right. So he said, "I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring Blondie up." I'm like, "Get the fuck out of here, man! Like, what are you talking about?" So he got Blondie to come to party up in the Bronx, and she made it clear to Freddie. She said, "He plays those turntables like a Tuscanini. He plays these turntables like an orchestra, and I'm going to write a record in his honor." So when I heard about it, I was like, "Oh, whatever. And then maybe, I don't know, six months later, there's this song that don't sound like what we jam to. The person on it don't do the rhymes like we are used to hearing. And people are asking me, Flash, you got just do record out? I'm like, no, we're in the studio working on the record. They said, well, is this is record out. And she's talking about Flash is faster, Flash is cool. And I said, wait. And then when I went to go listen to the record, I said, oh, shit, she kept her word.
0: Mm.
1: She kept her so word. So it was on the radio first. That record, because she was already killing it. Yeah, she, they she was know, out she of here. Already, yeah. She was already out of here. So to even do that, because she didn't have to, you know, that took my career into a whole new way into, like, more whites. And then so when I went overseas to DJ, like, you know, it wasn't just our people of color, it was... People of all genres, yeah, jamming with me, and 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 um, she was very helpful in that area to say this music that I heard, this is how I felt about it. And although she wasn't saying the rhymes or the raps like we're used to, nah, but she she put it on. She, she put, put it, it on. on. She put it on in that. Record and then you was in the video. And now So now the video thing was another thing because I can remember they had asked the record label, e, could we get Flash? for the video, and they said, no. Who said no? The record label. Your label. Said no. What? <laughs> I was crispy, <laughs> and that's why the person was in the video, and I wasn't. But that record, I mean, I already exploded, but me and that video, and video, the video age was early at that particular right, right, point right, for right. us. Yeah. I'd have been out of here, out of here, out of here. Crazy. And I think that probably would have been too much for a person who's not known to be on a microphone explode like that. So the record company said no. No. So that's why Basquiat, the famous yeah, artist, in yeah. was in it. Yeah. But that was supposed to be my yeah, slide. It was supposed to be you. Yeah, that's what happened. But that was the crazy games that was played back then. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. crazy, crazy, crazy.
0: Would you say um, one of the, I guess, overarching themes of hip hop um, is is kind of uh, what's that what's that what's that uh, line? Uh, Necessity is the mother of invention. Would you say that there was a need at the time you guys were at the time you needed to do the research and put in those electronics together and and you needed that music, you needed, the the community needed this hip hop thing at the time. Can you talk about that feeling of community and block parties and people coming together for
1: joy and celebration and music? I would say absolutely yes, because you gotta realize at that particular time, E, hip hop was like the music For the Village, I can remember doing this when we were not getting paid anything for this. I got to meet my fans, parents, aunts, Mm. uncles. And then when a gentleman by the name of Raymond Chandler convinced me after screaming at me for like a couple of months saying, this thing you're doing in the park could make money, we used to charge one dollar. After meeting all my, most of my fans' parents, there were some times where I had to put some of them in a cab to make sure they got home. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Sundays, I would eat dinner at some of the, the fans' houses. Um, that's the only way I could put it, it was like a village. We, everybody knew, everybody. This project knew this project. Uh, this block knew this block, and um, never in my wildest dreams was I even thinking this thing would go too far outside of New York. I just couldn't. It wasn't even couldn't. thought. I was too busy living in the moment, saying the music needs to be played the way that I I hear it. So I wasn't thinking, will this thing go over the fence? and go here and there and then until uh, Ray Chandler, who was the manager at this time, he's passed away. He says, Flash, you and the boys, we've succeeded in playing all through New York, all five boroughs. I want to take you to this place in uh, upper Manhattan. and uh, I think we could do something with this. You know, me being cocky as I was, I'm like, okay, let's go to this spot. You know, we did everything. We played all the clubs. We smashed. We packed it. Yeah, let's go. So I get in the car with him, and when we get to the location, I says, where are we going? He says, we're going in this building right here. And I got to tell you, we walked for like 10 minutes before we got to the front entrance. So I'm saying to myself, where are we going? And I can remember seeing these long sets of stairs and this little... Guy at the top of the stairs, I guess he must have been the building manager or whatever. Ray shakes his hand. I'm going up these stairs. <clears throat> I'm looking at the fire sign, and the fire sign says no more than 3,500 people in this building. I turned around, and I said, no, this is too big for us. 500 people or 1,000 people in a capacity room of that whole 3,000 is a failure. He says, "Flash, if you give me three months... I'll make sure the promotion is right. I'll make sure the fly is right. I'm saying, Ray, if we miss with this, all that we've done prior will be a failure. So E, that day came, brought the equipment in. I'm feeling a certain way. I told Ray, I'm going to jump in a taxi and go home because you guys are doing the sound check during the day. I come back at about 8 o'clock, E. I'm like, damn. Block looks kind of crowded. Looking at that license plates, Maine, Alabama, Atlanta, Philly. I'm like, I wonder where people are going. As I'm getting closer to this building, E, the lines wrapped around the block. By the time we got on, because we had to open an act, Cool DJ AJ, I can remember when we was playing Take Me to the Mardi Gras and, and the Rock, Bongo Rock. Fucking floor was shaking. It was an Audubon ballroom on 166th Street and Audubon Avenue. We filled it. That is when I said to myself, this thing, after seeing all those license plates down there earlier that evening, this thing could possibly go outside of New York in a big way. Yeah, That was my first see, right. my first look, E. You know, Seeing cars triple parked and all these people. And I'm seeing people down there that are like waving at me. We love you and this and that. Now I'm like, this is not real. How did the Flyers get to Georgia and how did (laughs) they get to Philly now? Like, how did it happen? Ray pulled it off. So that's when, that's to answer your question was the first look. This is before records. You know, it's just... This thing could possibly do something. And it did. It did.
0: Grandmaster Flash is on the message today. Uh, Make sure you check him out. He's going to be in Cortona Park in the Bronx. Yeah. Talk about this event, this block party you're doing. This is going down uh, August 4th. Friday, August 4th, between 5 and 9. It's called Birth of a Culture, the Four Elements Block Party.
1: Yes. Who you got? Oh, boy. When I wanted to do this, E, There's two ways I could have done this. I could have done this with a bunch of superstars, you know, my superstar friends, or do I do this organically and try to replicate what we did in the 70s? I chose to do it the organic way. So I've got my first student grand was at Theodore, DJ Charlie Chase, the first um, Puerto Rican hip-hop DJ ever. Uh, I've got... uh, the first break dancers, Trixie, Sasa, um, boy, the list is so,
0: it's so big. Well, you also got Jazzy J, uh-huh. Pete Rock, mm-hmm. Tony Touch, yes. Scram Jones, Beat it on, baby. Funk <laughs> Flex, yeah. and Taking
1: It Back Old School is free. Yeah. So for me, I felt like, like I said in the beginning of this thing here, man, this is our jobs. And... We ain't doing all heavy lifting. And some people that got to do heavy lifting to get a paycheck. Doing what we love. Mm -hmm. So this this was my way of saying, thank you. It cost me a good piece of money to put this thing together Mm -hmm. and to hire all these these artists. Um, And I want people to see what a break dancer looks like when a DJ's playing music. What a graffiti artist looks like when he's painting. What is an MC? What is a DJ? So I'm, 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 I'm pretty much what, want to show people something that happened 50 years ago, August 4th. That's what I want to do. So it's just my way of just saying thank you. Because once again, I say to you, E, this shit could have missed. Mm. Thank God it didn't. It didn't. You can come from
0: beginnings that are not humble. You can come from a time frame where there was nothing and still have everything. Grandmaster Flash, ladies and gentlemen. The message. Make sure you go listen to Grandmaster Flash message playlist in there. You got the 7 minutes of funk from the whole darn family. Mm-hmm. You got the James Brown on there. Mm-hmm. You got Pussy and Jackie Ooh. Robinson on there. Uh you got music is the message. Scorpio yeah. is on there from yeah. Dennis Coffey and the Detroit Guitar Band. Yeah. Uh the funk is on.
1: These are the these are the records. Yeah, these are a few of the the staples of hip hop, and I play this. Do you mind if I say I'm on Twitch? Say what you want. I'm on Twitch Tuesdays, 12 noon, and I'm also on Thursdays, 8 p.m., where I'm playing a smorgasbord of everything. Keeps me sharp, and it's just a wonderful way for me to just once again have a, a, a canvas to play things that I think are hot. So, check me out on Tuesday. 12 noon, and it's called the High Noon Experience or the Q Jam Thursdays at 8 p.m. on Twitch.
0: There it is. Grandmaster Flash. Go get that playlist. Thank you, sir.
1: Thank you. It's always a pleasure to see you, man. You look great, great. man.
0: I'm hanging in there, bro. You look amazing to yourself. Thank you, man. How's your health, man? My health is grand. And that's what's... That's that's it. it. And look, and all of our legends, uh, wherever you are, um, we love you. We appreciate you. Um, I don't know. You know, any way that we can always reach out, take care of. I know I, I reach out to people who are in touch with a lot of our legends. Sure. Uh, shout out to the Universal Hip Hi- Hop Hip Hop Museum. Yeah. Uh, Rocky Bucano
1: and uh, everyone over there. Some great things happening. Yes, this is wonderful. It's it's going to be a place where we can finally take our history and put it in a physical a physical building, so people can get somewhat of a pictorial idea of what we went through to start where we was to get where we are. So it's, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful time for the Bronx. I think it's a wonderful time for hip hop. And I think that it's, you know, I, I, I thank God that I'm here to even see it. And we're blessed. We're blessed to have you. Thank you. And in great
0: health. Thank, thank you very you. much,
1: sir. Thank you, sir. It's all good, man. It's a pleasure to see you, man. Always.
0: All right, message. Don't push me, Call. i I'm close to the... An open dialogue about the voices of today and their experiences through music that inspires them.